Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Perland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Last week, Dominique picked some topics that have come up in the online clinics, We started out by celebrating the progress of one of the regular attendees in the coaching sessions that are part of the clinics. That particular individual was asking a question about what she should do when her horse offers head lowering at times when she wasn't intentionally cueing it. That got the conversation rolling and we talked about building duration and inadvertent chains and a really interesting, important topic, the meaning of the phrase walking off casually and all that that implies. We stopped as Dominique shifted the subject to training during mud season. And that's where we're going to begin as we jump back into the conversation. I just want to throw a few things out there that maybe will inspire people. I think it's the perfect timing because soon we'll all be in mud. Spring will be coming and there will be lots of mud and a lot of difficult footing. And people are going to say, I don't know where to work. I don't know what to work on because there's just no room to work in. And so we had great discussions about working in tight places which I think a lot of people can relate to and will be very useful in the upcoming weeks. So I just want to throw a few things out there that maybe will inspire people. I know you were inspired even, I think, Alex, by this conversation. Can you talk about that? I always have to start by quoting from Hamlet. I think myself a king of infinite space where I bounded in a nutshell. I can never, whenever we talk about this, it's like, ah, oh, that comes popping wow. into my head. So, okay. um, I like that. So, so if we are bounded in a nutshell, what can we do? And That's right. uh, there are times when we are very restricted in the space. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about the different formations that different training systems have, you know, why does, why do we do it this way with one training system then? this way with another. And I think about, for example, some of the rope handling that emerged in the natural horsemanship work where they use very long lead ropes. And at times the lead ropes are dragging on the ground. And well, if you look at where the Durant's brothers lived, which is Northern California, um, Mm. in a fairly dry climate, it Mm. doesn't matter if your lead rope is dragging on the ground. But mm-hmm. if you live in upstate New York, where we have month season, we don't want our lead ropes dragging in the crowd because afterwards we don't want to pick them up. And so that particular, you know, yes, we can absolutely learn that style of lead rope, but it wouldn't be one that would comfortably, naturally emerge in a muddy climate. We would be keeping our lead ropes up off the ground. For me, because I live in snow country and often we got get iced in, when I was really sorting through and learning a lot of some of the core basic handling skills that 
really even predate clicker training. I kept my horses in a converted dairy barn and it was on the side of a hill. During the winter, when we iced in, we could go weeks without being able to get the horses out of the barn because Mm -hmm. it was just, it wasn't simply ice. It was ice on a slope and we could turn them out. It was a side paddock that the horses could often go out in safely, but the barnyard would just be glare ice and, and straight, you know, just straight down a hill. So it was not safe. They, you know, even if the horses had been able to manage it, we would have been flat on our backsides. So I learned to work horses in a very restricted space where all you have is a narrow barn aisle and stalls. And I got very comfortable working horses in stalls because that was what I had. And mm-hmm. so it makes sense that in the beginning steps of introducing a horse to clicker training I have horses start in stalls or if you don't have a stall a small paddock but a stall with a stall guard across the the door is for me a very normal environment for a horse to be in because in the climate that I live in a lot of horses live in barns particularly in the winter they have stalls you get used to having horses in stalls and from my horses I've always had stall guards across the door so that they could get their heads out and and interact with one another and get fresh air and etc etc so working in small spaces is something that I'm accustomed to and then this particular person this was I think two coaching sessions back saying that she was really restricted because the barnyard area that she could normally work in was really muddy and her horse doesn't do well. He doesn't like the mud. He's got some physical issues that make it really problematic for him to be on slippery footing. So she has a very narrow space that around the outside of her barnyard that is, that's got mats down where she can work. And the suggestion was to turn that narrow space, that small rectangle, basically into her arena and to work, use mats and to work on training turns. And, and I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. I should play with that with Robin. And I just had, I had a wonderful time. I spent the month between coaching sessions. I set out cones and made really small little mini arenas in which to work in. And then I kept moving my rectangle around the arena. So I moved along the long side and down into the far corners and so on. So we just moved the space around the arena and had a wonderful time. And and, and Fengor started joining in in the early morning because the, the doors are open. So if he wants to come in and play with us, he can. And we've just had a grand time playing with multiple mats and small spaces. And, and so sometimes, you know, because often people will bemoan the, you know, I don't have any place to work. I don't have an arena. And there I have an arena and I'm making it smaller Mm. by setting the cones out. But the smaller space creates precision in terms of how am I going to make those turns so that I can do a half turn or half turn in reverse as I change direction or I'm moving 
across the diagonal so it all fits in. And it was that was really productive. So other ideas so other to ideas. work. Yeah, I have other ideas. Working on sequences. Yes. You know, you can work on a sequence of two steps backwards with targeting forward. So two steps back, two steps forward. You could, you know, you can mix all the foundation lessons. I mean, the targeting, the head lowering, etc. So working on sequences of two, maybe yes. three behavior. And that's very useful. It could help you make a big leap in your training. If you work on sequences, even if you're in a stall, yep. working on duration, you don't need space for that. You know, you can work on that. You could decide to do new cues for hoof handling. You, yes. know, you can play with that, having new cues, all the medical behaviors. Yes. Syringe in the mouth, eye touch, ear examination, mouth examination, foot in a bucket. When do you have time to train foot in a bucket? And it's pretty sure that every horse at some point will have an abscess and that foot in a bucket would be a good thing to have in oh. repertoire. So you don't have room. You can play with foot in a bucket. Foot on a small block to prep for x-rays. Yeah, that's true. Buddy targeting. I mean, you can spend a lot of time because there's a lot of buddy part. <laughs> yes target you know moving away from move towards your hand and i mean all parts of the horses can do that right so that that's a lot of time a lot of training time that you could spend in a little square working on body targeting fly spray for those who have a problem you put water in the bottle and you play with fly spray and you'll be ready for summer leg lifts in the front, in the back. So just so people know that it's not an excuse if you don't have space, there's still lots you can do with your horse. And until the mud has subsided, you're not, you don't have to stop and not do any training. That's right. So that's yeah, right. I thought well, that was good inspiration. Do you want to talk about happy faces? Sure. I mean, that was the last coaching session. You just started showing a video. It was about, I don't know, 28 seconds into the video. And we started this conversation about happy faces. And I think it lasted, did it last an hour almost? Yes. yes. There was a real appetite in the group to have this discussion. Yeah. And so you never know which direction these coaching sessions are going to take. But it was, I love that discussion. I really, for me, the timing was really good because, you know, this course, of course, is making me look more and more at details. I'm becoming more and more attuned into all these little details. And I've been looking at my horse's ears a lot. And so I was super interested in this discussion. And there were, there were many take away for me during that discussion. One of them was that, you know, you said... It's not that you want to suppress the ear pinning. Oh, just so we define what we mean by happy faces. Happy faces generally will mean that your horse has his two ears forward. You know, the rest of the body will tell you and the context will tell you whether, because there could be other reasons why a horse is flipping his ears back. He could be, you know, listening to something in the back. He could be looking with his ears in that direction because maybe you just asked him to back up. It could be a habit. Yeah. 
but you are actively timing your click for those moments when you see starts with just one ear, but when you see an ear begin to move forward and eventually you end up with a horse that is putting his ears forward more and more and more in your presence. And then That's right. to, as you become more aware of the ears, you also begin to notice the, is he soft around his eyes? What is, what's he doing with his mouth? You know, is mouth. he soft in his mm -hmm. mouth? Is, are his nostrils up? Yeah. So you, so yeah. the ears are, they're obvious. And yeah, they're, they're the big signal. Yes. And they're easy, mm -hmm. particularly if you are a novice handler, it's easy to say, oh, let's look at those moving things on the top of a horse's head called ears. You know, they're, they're easy to work with. They're not as subtle as you know, to, what's, what's he doing with the muscles around his eyes? But mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we move to that subtlety, but we begin with the ears. Right. You know? And so, you know, one of the things you were saying is that it's not that we want to suppress completely the ear pinning because right. we want the horse to be able to express discomfort, you know, just as in the dog world, they don't want to suppress the dog growling. And then the next time the dog just skips the growling and goes the little kid's hand. Yes. So you want to keep those signals where the animal, this communication where the animal can express that he's uncomfortable. So it's not that you don't want it anymore. You never want to see the ears back, but it's one of your foundation lessons. Right. And I always thought for me, that was kind of the, the lesson I never spent any time on, you know, it was like, I don't know, it's just, just seemed... I thought, first of all, I thought my horses never pin their ears. I thought they never do that. But actually, sometimes they do. And one of them does it more than the other. Bonanza does it much more than Woody does. So, you know, I've been looking, going through all my videos, looking at just that, just the ears. When does he do it? Is it consistent? And now I'm paying much more attention, not just to my own horse, but to everybody's horses I'm afraid I, and I see a lot of it you know I see a lot of ears pinning and of course you know my, because of the way I am I suppose I'm always kind of saying okay what am I doing wrong you know what, what's what's wrong in my in my training the there must be some frustration is he going through a mini extinction of some sort so I'm I'm quick to read it as something negative. So I'm trying to train myself and be more neutral and just take it as, you know, data and information. And I think it could be habit sometimes. Like some people don't smile a lot. They, they've taken that habit. You, you yeah. talked about that a little bit. Do you want to develop on that? Yeah, because the ears do not just signal one thing. You know, the ears are used in many contexts. So we have to look at the whole picture to really understand what ears are about. Horses put their ears forward when they want to listen to something that's in front of them. They put their mm -hmm. ears back when they want to listen to something that's behind them. So, mm -hmm. you know, it can be as simple as the horse is moving his ears because there's something rustling in the bushes behind him and it has nothing to do with anything that you're doing. It's just that, He's mm -hmm. 
aware of his environment and he's just checking it out. He's still paying attention to you, but he's checking out what's behind him. So it's fine. Ears can be directional. I'm thinking about going forward. My ears go forward. I'm thinking about going back. My ears go back. That makes sense. You know, if I'm going to step back, I put my ears back to check out what's behind me. I wish we could move our ears. I've, I've always regretted <laughs> that we can't, that we can't move. I think we would, I, I just, I think we would be a much more, much more fun, interesting species if we could put our ears forward and back. Oh, I don't, I don't like the way this political conversation is going. <laughs> Let me pin my ears. You know, that would. That well, be, they gave us a mouth instead. <laughs> I know, but it would just be, it would just be fun. So, so ears go back and, and ears are definitely used in social interactions. Oh, yes. The horses pin their ears to, to give another horse information about where they should or should not be. So they are social interactions. They pin their ears when they are in pain. They, you know, there are lots of contexts. In which a lot of horses pin their hair at feeding time. At feeding time, you see yes. that. Yeah, you see Absolutely. that a lot. Bring it to me quick. Yes. Or whatever it means. And but... also neighbor in the stall next to mine or mm. in the paddock, stay away. Yeah, but actually, when you're training next, I know for me, when Bonanza, if I'm training him next to another horse, he'll, that's that's one situation where he'll pin his ears. It's not directly my training, but I'm not training at the right place. Because I, I don't want this to become a habit of his. So I just need to move a few feet away and then he'll, he won't do it anymore. But it, it's definitely the case that for some horses, ears back is much more in repertoire than mm. ears forward. Just to sort of their resting state. Default their, almost. Their default. Their, mm. their neutral, this is just who I am, what I am emotionally. It's, I'm an ears back, glass half empty kind of a mm. individual. <laughs> and mm. their life experience is that they've gotten used to being an Eeyore, a grumpier expression than, you know, the cheerful, always smiling individual. I know when I'm concentrating that I tend to get a really scowly face. And if I'm sitting in the front row of a presentation where the presenter can really see me, I make an effort to not to not concentrate, <laughs> to mm. not scowl, you know, to decouple that so that I can still concentrate, but to do it without having the wrinkled forehead kind of expression. And that that's a conscious, deliberate, have to think about it, behavior. And so with a lot of our horses, particularly if they have had chronic discomfort, and many, 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 many of our horses have, because, you know, when you hear the statistics about ulcers, there are a lot of horses mm -hmm. out there who are in chronic discomfort because of ulcers, or because of low-grade laminitis, or mm. arthritis, where yeah. they are they are uncomfortable. And so their default is to have a grumpy face. And ears forward, happy, bubbly, goes out of repertoire. So there you are standing next to your horse and grown-ups are talking, and his ears are back. 
And he's not really grumpy with a capital G, meaning mm. uh, it's just this is just who he is. Well, it would be right, nice right. if if to put it know, back in to put it back in, in his repertoire. Yeah. And so you put it back in by reinforcing the horse in those you capture, you do it opportunistically at first. Oh, I'm walking past your stall, your ears are forward. Let me click and reinforce you. And so sometimes it's oftentimes it's done initially opportunistically in the same mm -hmm. way that lots of people, that's the way they capture, for example, a bow. They see the horse stretching out in the morning and they click and reinforce it and they start seeing the horse stretching out more and more. They've captured a bow. Well, we're going to capture ears forward. And then more Yeah, more. I, I know I've worked in the stall to do it where I'm, you know, a few feet away and just wait. And like you said, you start with one ear because if you wait for two ears, it's going to take too long and you won't get there. So even the beginning of one year is yeah. good. You should take it. You should click it. But if your horse is pinning his ears because he's in proximity to another horse and you're there, because if, you know, most likely he's not pinning his ears when you're not there. But if you if you come close, he wants you, he doesn't want the other horses to right. be around you. Right. Then if that's the case, you may want to do it somewhere else where the, the other horses are not as close by. But it's easy to do if you can in the box. Well, it, you it, know, it, it depends because you can have some horses where they are very guarded when they're in mm -hmm. stalls. So that could be a really hard place to get ears forward. It could be. It could yeah. be. So that, so, I mean, you have to, the horse will tell you, right, yes. what, what's making it. But in, in the coaching session, you were, there was, this girl was using fetching to to put it in repertoire. So again, you know, it, it wasn't about the fetching. It was about putting ears forward back in repertoire using a behavior that in principle was not associated with any past negative baggage. Right. So fetching right. a toy it was, I think. So what she was looking at is what is the effect of past history, past training? So when she was starting to ask for things, normal things, asking a horse to pick up her foot and you get ear peening. Well, picking up your feet is not a blank slate. This is a crossover horse, a horse who's had previous history. She started out as a ranch horse and it had some, if I'm remembering correctly, it had some reining training. So she's had a lot of other experiences in her life and she was seeing a lot of ear pinning for some of the normal activities, lunging with the crate, she would see ear pinning. Picking up feet, she would see ear pinning. So she wanted to test it. If I take something that I'm almost 100% certain nobody's ever taught this horse, fetching, what do I see? No. Do I, do I still see ear pinning? But it triggered, a, yeah, it triggered quite an interesting conversation. And I think one of the big takeaways, well, there there were a lot of takeaways because it did go on for 
<laughs> it was so interesting. It was 28 seconds. We walked I know. out of a what, like, oh my God. video <laughs> and we never got past the first 28 seconds, but then it generated this really fascinating conversation. But I think mm. one of the, one of the things that I always go back to is the experience that I had with Peregrine, who was very grumpy because of physical issues. And I needed to know when something was bothering him for many reasons. I needed to know to keep myself safe because I didn't want to be asking for something that was going to push him to the point where he had to act out to say, you know, I've been trying to tell you not to ask me for this for the last five minutes, but you kept coming and you kept coming. So now I'm just going to have to bite you or kick you. You know, I want to know that so that he doesn't bite me or kick me. That's really that's important information. So if, mm. if he's feeling uncomfortable, if he's having a day when it's, he's having a little bit of colic discomfort or foot discomfort, whatever it is, I want to know about it so, so that I'm not asking him for things he can't handle. And I want to know about it so that I can do something to help him to be more comfortable. If he's starting to have a little bit of colic pain, I want to know about it sooner rather than later. So I don't want, I would, if teaching ears forward suppressed the ability to grump, I wouldn't be interested in it. Mm. But I could, I, and I reinforced him a lot for ears forward because we were in a boarding barn and he was in the worst stall in the entire barn. It was a dark stall, poor ventilation, it was right next to the entrance into the arena. So he at mm. during late afternoon, he would have horses and people going right past his stall, right mm. at eating time. And mm. that put an enormous amount of pressure on him. And mm -hmm. he had no, you know, there wasn't another stall. It's a boarding barn. You can't move to other better you know you can't say to to somebody else in the barn could you move your horse into this horrible stall so that my mm. horse can be happier it doesn't work that way not in a boarding barn so so there was a lot of environmental pressure on him and what i did for him is that anytime i walked past his stall and i saw his ears popping forward i clicked and reinforced it so I turned it into a default behavior. Mm -hmm. And it was lovely. I would come into the barn and he would put his head out because he had a stall guard. And and during the hours of the day when he was allowed to have his door open, it's a boarding barn, he wasn't allowed to have the door open all the time. But during those times when the door could be open, and he would put his head out and he would look down the barn aisle at me with this wonderful soft expression and it just melted my heart and it's one of those things that I think is a real safety net because mm -hmm. I don't know what he was feeling but I know what that expression did for me and it it just made me feel all warm and fuzzy but when a horse is pinning his ears flat that's not a horse who's going to be popular in a barn mm -hmm. It's, it's a horse who's it's much easier to trigger in us reactive, negative, 
harder, harsher, non-loving responses when somebody's grumping at you, especially grumping at you a lot. So the more you can shape this, oh, when he looks at me, he just, you know, people, it's, oh, he loves you so much. It's like, oh, I don't know, but I've reinforced that expression. And I know I love him. You know, I know what I feel towards him. And I know what that expression is triggering. But I also know that if he was out in the barn aisle and I started to walk along past his flank and it was one of those days when he was feeling uncomfortable, his ears would go back. Mm -hmm. He still would, had that possibility of he expressing. still had that possibility to grump. And I, and I always said, you know, I never want to take that away from him. I mm -hmm. never, ever punished him, got after him for grumping at me. I needed that information. And I wanted him to feel safe to express how he was feeling. But what I also put into repertoire for him was an alternative to show me that he was feeling comfortable and okay. And that that's an important part of the happy faces. We have to put mm -hmm. it in repertoire. If it's not in repertoire, it's not a hot behavior. It's not going to pop out right. and come into context with these other behaviors. He's not going to, he's standing next to me in grownups and I'm withholding the click just a little bit. And he'll think, oh, what could I do to get her to click and reinforce me? Let me try putting my ears forward. That's not going to happen unless ears forward has been forced enough to bring it into repertoire, to, to make mm -hmm. it one of the files that's on the desktop instead of right. one of the files that's buried somewhere in one of the multiple external hard drives that sit somewhere on my desk. Yeah. So it's not so much to suppress the grumpiness, but it's more to think of it as a behavior you can train Yes. That will pop up in other contexts, even maybe contexts that in the past have created grumpiness could happen too. You know, there was a little part of the discussion where I was asking one of the trainers who was there, you know, if you, she was talking about a horse that really did grumpy faces a lot. And I was asking her, is it possible to change it? You know, once a horse is into this habit, I think it can be hard, but certainly, you know, making it one of the behaviors you put in repertoire will put you in the right directions. Yes. Yeah. And we you know, there's, and it's not, it's not something, it's something you can do in tight places. I yes. forgot that one. <laughs> yes. yes. And yeah, when you're building duration, it can be part of your criteria. Yeah, I remember that you asked, you know, does it, does the grumpy can it change? Can it yeah. change when it's when it's embedded? You know, when you see a horse that really has it a lot, can you change that? But in a way, it's, I guess I'm being, I'm not being constructive when I'm asking that question that way. You know, it's like we want to change it, suppress yeah, it, we want to fix it, but we want to fix it. But it does, it does bring to mind several just wonderful examples of horses that just dramatically change. I mean, we, we started this conversation out with the, the, the big with horse. one example. He's so scary. Yeah. And now his face is so soft. 
Does that mean that he's never going to grump or present something that could be scary? No, that's also in repertoire. Nothing is ever mm -hmm. erased. But if more and more what you encounter is that soft, relaxed face, and that becomes more the norm, then that's how you begin to think of him and not as, oh, he's this big, scary horse. And one of the examples that I think about is a horse that this was early on in the clicker training experience. I was giving a clinic over in the Boston area. And this particular individual flew over from, she was in the, I want to say Belgium, and she flew over specifically for the clinic, which really, especially at that time, just blew my mind that somebody would travel that far for a clinic. And, and, and we had a couple of really difficult horses in the clinic. One was Gregor, who was the Dutch Wormblood Stallion, who's featured in the head-lowering DVD lesson, who was very, initially, a very scary horse. He had been beaten badly, abused, in the early stages of his training. And we know this because the person who, who bought him when he came over to Europe was actually working at the stable where Gregor was started as a three-year-old, and he saw the beatings. So we know what happened to this horse. So he was a very, very scary stallion. And we had a couple other just really difficult, challenging horses. And she observed what we were doing. And, what, and she had a little quarter horse mare, 14-3 chestnut quarter horse, who in this country would be, you know, you see quarter horses all over everywhere. But we're talking Europe. We're talking Europe, what, 30 years ago. So it wasn't that common to have quarter horses. And this horse was incredibly, was also very aggressive. She was biting and going after people. And the trainers that her person consulted really didn't have anything to offer her. They said, no, you should just put her in the ground or turn her into stakes, which is sort of grim. And she didn't want to do either of those two things. You know, she, she loved this horse. She did not want to put her down. She wanted to find an answer. So she had flown over to watch this clinic. And at, one of the things that we focused on was the feed out away from your body. You know, really make sure that when you, you click, you feed, you extend your arm out away from your body so you're not inviting the horse into your space. And of course, the food delivery has become much more detailed than it was mm -hmm. then. But that was the that was the a big message. Feed out away from your body. Monique took that home with her. And so she started, she was very consistent. Every time she clicked, she would not just feed out away from her body, but she would turn into her horse and have her back up. Mm -hmm. So they're walking along. It was she would click. And then she would reach into her pocket, and as she was getting the treat out, she would turn into her horse and extend her arm out away from her body so that the food delivery prompted a backup. And she was absolutely consistent with that. So the following year, I gave a clinic in Belgium, and Monique brought her horse, and she was one of, we had two demo horses, 
in the evening. We were going to use these horses to illustrate what you could do with clicker training. And we were at this stable where there were a lot of sport horses. So space is very limited in this environment. And so when people had their horses, they were in sort of big barns. It was horses were all in stalls and they had an indoor arena. And these were people who had performance horses. They were interested in jumping. They had big horses. They did, you know, a lot of fancy stuff with them was dressage and jumping. And, and here's this little 14 three quarter horse. So and they didn't know anything about clicker training. We're, we're introducing them to clicker training. And so we're watching her. We were standing behind the kickboards. Monique and Trixie are in the arena. And she had brought her a, a box of stuff. And she said, oh, just hand me something. So I handed her a baseball cap. And Monique put the baseball cap on her head. And Trixie retrieved it. She reached up. She took the baseball cap off of Monique's head and handed her the baseball cap. Very cute trick. And, and I could hear and feel all these rolling eyes behind me going, oh, very patronizing, you know, oh, cute mm. trick, dear. How sweet. Mm. But we ride real horses. You know, we're interested in jumping. Not, we're not interested in trick training. Like, okay. And so then I handed Monique something else. It might have been a bicycle horn. And she, you know, blew the bicycle horn. Oh, how sweet, dear. You know, that's really cute. But we, we're interested in real training. And then, then I handed her this little kitchen stool, a little plastic kitchen stool. And Monique tossed it down on the ground, upside down. And it was behind Trixie. And Trixie very deliberately backed up so that she could put a hind foot on the stool. Mm. And it was very, there was so much body awareness there. It was very cool. Mm. And you could see the people going, huh, that was a little different. Not quite mm. so patronizing. Mm. <laughs> and then Monique flipped the footstool the right way up. And she stood up on the footstool and Trixie came over and she's got nothing on her. So not even a halter. She came over, lined herself up next to this mm. little footstool. Monique hops off and off they go around the arena. Strange environment. Horse is not familiar with it. And they're mm. tootling around the environment. They're back in bridalist. Very cool. And then she brings her down to the near end of the arena where we can all see. And she puts her on a circle and Trixie goes into Spanish walk at Liberty, the rider on her. Very cool. And then she goes up into a trot and she goes into Spanish trot. Very cool. So now we have their attention, which mm. is really interesting. But what really interested me in this was there was not one glimmer, not one glimmer of aggression in this horse. Mm. No pinned ears, no grumpy faces, nothing. She was just doing all this really cool work. Complete change. You know, some, something happened this weekend. I mean, it just happened for 20 seconds, but I thought, hmm, you know, I just love clicker training. It was a kind of a chaotic weekend because it was freezing, freezing. It was polar weather here. Yes. And so it was a 
things were a little bit different, but one of the outside drink, I don't know how you say it automatic in English, waters. automatic waterer was, was frozen. And the groom, when she came into the paddock with the little tractor, she left the doors open. And I was talking with the owner. I was around the, and she, she thought I was going to kind of keep the doors, but the owner came and I went to the owner to discuss the frozen waterer. And what he just got out oh. of the paddock. Normally this would have been like, oh my God, Loose the horse is up. <laughs> yes. And, and you, we know, you know, I've seen horses when they come out, they kind of panic. But I just said, don't worry, I have this. I just called him. And he just came trotting back inside <laughs> the paddock. And I just thought, I just love this. You know, that's how, I mean, for me, those are like little tiny miracles yes. that I'm yes. sure traditional people look at this and they say, what? <laughs> you know, I was not panicked. I knew, right. I know this horse. I know if I call him, he's coming. You know, right. he's happy. Not only is he coming, he's trotting to me. So I just love this. You know, these little things, I think sometimes they really catch traditional trainers' attention. They're like double take, you know, yeah. what just happened? That's interesting. <laughs> you know, they may roll their eyes on some of the things we do, but I think some of those things catch their attention. So when I had the horses at the boarding barn, I had a client who gave me two llamas who actually- I heard they're food. really difficult to train. They're, they're the not llamas. difficult to train. They're, they're no, not. someone they're, said that to me. Well, that's probably because they're trying to use force to train them. No, the no, this are... was a, a positive reinforcement trainer told me this a few years ago. She said to me, now I've trained so many, but the llamas was, I think, the most difficult for her anyway. They're, yeah. they're... She wasn't a horse person though. So maybe that makes a difference yeah, too. I don't know. I don't it was know. Was a dog person. They're, they're not hard to train. Certainly, I mean, they. they... Well, they don't pin their ears when they're not happy. They do pin in their ears. They they oh, very they do, yeah. pin their ears. But they they also how do you say in English? They Cachet, they, they spit. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's what she didn't like. Yeah. I think well, she got spitted in the face a few times and she didn't appreciate so, it. So Apparently this actually it relates, this relates to the happy faces discussion. So I thought it would, I thought it would be really interesting to have llamas. And I thought that at a boarding barn that everybody would be really excited. Oh, we've got llamas, you know, what fun. Well, I was wrong because just to the south of us was one of those, it was it was called a game farm, but it was sort of a little small zoo. And it was sort of the old fashioned, old style zoo. And they had a petting mm. zoo. And everybody mm. in my area at some point, if they, if they didn't go down there as a child and go through the petting zoo as a child, then they probably took their children down there. Mm. And so it, so basically everybody had had the experience of going to this particular game farm and going to the petting zoo and having the llamas spit at somebody <laughs> at some so, so so all I heard at first was oh llamas they spit so I'm right. thinking that instead of you know I thought they would be welcomed at the boarding barn and that this would I don't know gave me some brownie points because I was the <laughs> who brought 
diplomas in. And instead, I'm getting major demerits because I brought the diplomas <laughs> in. And furthermore, the horses don't like the smell of them. So some of the horses are going, ooh, major. So I taught the llamas. One of the things that I taught them was to bring their muzzles up to the side of my face. So I would click and reinforce them for bringing their muzzle to, to my cheek. Your cheek. And, mm-hmm. yep. and so it looked to our human eyes as though they were giving me a kiss. Right. And so what was really interesting is that once that behavior was in place, I stopped hearing, oh, llamas, they spit. And instead I was hearing, oh, they love you so much. <laughs> now, I don't know what the llamas were feeling towards me. I don't know if they liked me, didn't like me. What I knew was this was a trained behavior, but Mm -hmm. that humans responded to it in a way that softened their attitude towards these animals. Major safety net. Major Mm -hmm. safety net. One of the times when I was away, so one, one of the things I taught the mamas was to come to targets. And this was a lesson barn that uh, boarding barn that specialized in after school lessons for kids. And at the time, the barn owner's youngest son was at that time six years old. And I had shown him a few things that, you know, I'd shown him basic targeting with the llamas. So he had learned to hold a target up and have the llamas come over and orient to the target. So he knew this, this was in repertoire. And I was away giving the clinic over the weekend and the llamas got out. So they're running oh. around the farm and have oh, all the oh. animals running around the farm <laughs> trying to corral them. You know, oh, let's, you know, well, let's bring move these panels and trap them here and trap them. Oh there. my God. And it was just. So they're scaring them off even worse. Scaring them off even more. And yeah, they're kind of chasing them from behind, which is the best. one thing you don't want to do. And so the six-year-old said, oh, why don't we just get a target? A target. <laughs> so he went into the barn, got one of the target sticks, came out. The llamas all came over to him, and he led them back <laughs> into their pen. And oh, I just, I loved when I heard that story. Yeah. It's like, yes. That's great. So perfect. So <laughs> perfect. So, so yes, there are, there are all these lovely benefits of the clicker training in everyday life it can be quite you know those benefits can be really precious yes my horses were feeling that because it was so so cold this past weekend i mean this was just horrendous wind chill temperatures and down depends on which scale you're on fahrenheit or celsius which but it was we were in arctic arctic temperatures and it was all up and down the, the east coast i don't have gloves that can really hold up in a clicker training session when you're getting slobbered on at that level, that temperature. And of course the horses are they're they're fine. They're they're very happy. It's not that cold. Fengor's in Icelandic. He's probably thinking, what do you mean it's cold? And and I'm trying to and I'm having to say to them, guys, I just I can't, you know, I, I, here we'll I'll play with you for a couple of clicks, but that's all I can that's all I can do today. And, and they're, you know, it's, it just speaks to the flexibility of the training 
that you can tap into the normal rituals and still manage to to extract yourself from a training session without creating emotional angst on their part because it was not a day in which I was going to stay out for any normal length of time. Um, mm. I was pleased with both of them that they let me retreat back into warmer mm. parts of the barn. Mm. So what were some I of the other we would questions? End on this. That you, you okay? Were going to ask, you want to continue? Whether we go into detail with them or not, I'm just curious what maybe for next. Well, time. okay. Well, there was one that I would like to have time to really explore and go down the rabbit hole because it's a phrase that I heard in or read. Maybe the person I think it was written that you hear a lot. And I think it has a lot of implication. It's important. But I don't know if everybody who says it means the same thing. And I think that for some people who are newer to it, they may not even know what it means. So you hear this since Bob Bailey. Click for behavior, feed for position. So that feed for position, I would like to go down that rabbit hole because I... I think there are so many implications and such a useful thing to understand that something maybe we it's can a, keep. It's a big topic, you know, feed. Feed for position. Feed where the perfect horse would be. Strategies for getting more bang for your buck from your reinforcement process is a big topic. So we'll stop here for now. As you can see, the clinics are producing some great topics for us. Remember, these clinics are online, so you can participate in them no matter where you live. They are self-paced, so you can also join in at any point. If you would like to join the clinics, check out my website, theclickercenter.com, and email me for more information or to register. And until next time, train well and have fun with your courses.